single time Jesus had a gathering, Jesus addressed the main issues of the day, the issues that were troubling people. But Jesus also had a way of dealing with them that dealt with them in a different way, that framed them completely differently than the way people were framing them. So people would say questions like, okay, so the hot topic of the day is this debate that, the, that this religious group is having with this religious group. What do you say, Jesus? And he didn't say, hey, listen, stop interrupting. We're having a great spiritual service on Sunday morning, and we'd like that to be our safe spot and our escape, so please don't interrupt me with uh, what's happening in the real world. Instead, Jesus said, oh, let me address that, but not in the way you think, not in the way you would like me to address it. I'm going to change this from what you think is really the issue to the true issue. It was never avoidance. It was actually getting at the core of the issue much more directly than the way we are oftentimes dealing with it. In our world today, we think that the extremes are where the truth is. And so if someone is as forthright as they can be, black and white as they can be, are you this or are you that? We think we're dealing with the issue directly. But extremes never actually deal with the issues. And Jesus, that's the reason why Jesus never dealt in the extremes, but actually dealt with something completely different. He would say, this isn't the right question you're asking, and would ask or propose a different question or a different answer. And so this is, by the way, accepted by, uh, by most scholars and theologians, because when you read Jesus, you can't help but see that. It's consistent. He's asked a question, he never answers the question. Not the way they wanted him to answer it. Because the thing about Jesus that's characterized by his ministry and movement is this verse caught in John uh, chapter 1, verse 17. John chapter 1, verse 17 uh, John, the apostle, says this, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Jesus deals with truth. Jesus deals with truth and deals with grace, and grace and truth cannot be separated from each other. They are not just two categories. Am I being gracious as I communicate the truth? Because here's what Christians do when they hear that verse. They say, okay, now, I, now I'm going to try addressing it this way. I'm going to say to you, hey, I love you, but... <laughs> I, 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 I care about you, but, yeah, so th these aren't two separate categories. I'm going to start my, my, my argument with a gracious statement. You're fantastic. Sandwich method. You're fantastic, but you're a jerk, but you're fantastic. It, it's that th that is not the approach of grace and truth. Grace and truth is actually the truth itself is grace when it's truth. <laughs> When it's, when it's an opinion, when it's not really the truth, it isn't, it isn't a gift. It's not gracious. Right? So truth is grace, and grace is truthful as well. And grace 
is a separate on one side is a separate thing from truth but an you know indivisible as well so on one side you can look at it as it's like a coin on one side you have this beautiful thing this beautiful grace that is welcoming and inviting to all people all people anyone who wishes to come to god can that's the wonderful news of the gospel but on the other side is also you are often the reason why you don't get access to grace because you refuse to walk into the light and that's hard and we don't want to hear that sometimes but that's truth okay. and so the truth and grace is are the two things i want to talk about this morning because i think that's very helpful to frame and to and to help us in our thinking on how do we deal with this issue that is front and center right now in front of all of us we thought covid-19 would be the only news and the biggest news at least i did and suddenly it gets surpassed <clears throat> by this issue of race <clears throat> and racism so the way i want to approach this is by um by by speaking about truth for a moment and then we'll dive into some scripture <clears throat> um Let me uh let me approach it with this. There are um th this is what oftentimes happens in 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 communication between people <clears throat> via social media or just in, or actually in person. Is when we're talking to each other we think we're oftentimes dealing with um with truth. And and we are in part, <clears throat> but as I've said many times before, all of us see in part but none of us see fully. Would you all agree with that? Romans, this, this comes from 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love chapter. We all see in part. We do not see the whole. Can we all agree with that? I feel like we have to start with like the basics because we lose our minds in this space. It's just nuts. And we're so sure of ourselves and we're speaking the truth. I'm speaking the truth. I'm, no, you're speaking part of the truth. But, but someone else has a part of that truth as well. And so this is the reason why we only see in part. The amazing thing about, about what Christ did in the, uh, I love this concept of the, the sort of like three incarnations. I've taken this from Father Richard Rohr. Three incarnations. The first incarnation was the, was, was, was the creation in which God creates and out of God's self, all things are created. And so nature itself is a reflection of God, right? Romans chapter one. So just dropping these passages in case you think I'm heretical here. But Romans chapter one, God creates all things, right? And all things are a reflection of the divine. And you can see God within all of nature. So that's the first incarnation. The second one is, of course, Jesus Christ, who is the incarnation of God. And the third one is, which one do you suppose is the third incarnation? If the first is creation, the second is Jesus, what is the third? The third is the church. The body of what? The body of Christ. And so Paul makes it amply clear that 
this is us. We're the body of Christ. So this is the reason why we all see in part. None of us fully see. We all see a part of it. Together we see more than we do see individually, and still together we do not fully see, but we are on our way to seeing more fully. So it is essential that we actually have conversation with other people who think differently than us, who are in the community of faith, and those even outside the community of faith that we are listening to, to hear what are you saying because there is something that you see that I do not quite see. And together we will see more and still, even in our togetherness, we are still only seeing a part. Are you with me so far? We only see in part. Together we see more. But even then, it's still not quite fully there. So at the individual, we see the least. At the collective, we see the most. And still there's more to see. And this is the beautiful thing about history. It's because the history is what actually helps us to move forward. What we see now, 200 years later, the people will see even more than what we see. And that's good. We're, only, we're part of that continuum. We are not the epic. We have not reached the fullness of it. What we know now is only in part. Our level of morality will be seen as very immoral in 200 years from now. Think about that. When we look back to previous morality, that actually the majority of Christians, now listen to this, this is factual, the majority of Christians were pro-slavery during the days of slavery, the majority, and they argued from scripture, proof of scripture, evidence of scripture. If you read their writings from back then, it sounds like people writing today. That this is, they use the slippery slope argument. If we free slaves, if we do this, then we're starting to mess with scripture, and pretty soon we're going to give up on everything morality-wise. I mean, they were sure this is a moral issue. They argued from a moral standpoint. Now we can look back and say, well, they were definitely wrong, right? We can say that. But we can also acknowledge, like in humility, we might be wrong now, and we probably are. Right? But we still have to move forward in faith. We can't just sit back and go, well... We might be wrong, so we don't do anything. No, we do move forward, but we do move forward with humility, understanding we only see in part, but together we see more, and in the future, we will see even more. That's the movement of Scripture, is forever more and more awareness in seeing. So truth, we have to start with that premise, is that we see in part. The next thing I want to say about that is that we often see in particulars and not looking at the story. We see the details of the story, but we don't look at the story. And this is what I believe is happening today with racism, is that we see only parts. We look at only certain parts of it oftentimes rather than seeing the big picture. And so what I hear as arguments today are arguments like, well, look, they, you know, this person had priors. You know, they, this black person had prior, you know, um, you know, uh, criminal activity. We look at the details. Well, you know, it's only a few bad apples, you know, we should treat the, the officers who've been, that's just one of the few that we should deal with that, right? So particulars, again, details, you know, well, all lives matter, you know, again, focusing on the details, it's funny how we focus on the details, and then what we'll do is we look for people that will support our views. And so there's a few that will come out and say, 
you know, there is no racism and there are people of color who are saying that. And suddenly we have this argument and we're saying, see, this person had priors. See, there's only a few bad apples. See, this is, there is no real racism. And we just keep looking at the particulars, but we're not looking at the big story. And the big story is the one that troubles us the most. Because it reveals something within us that makes us feel pretty yucky about ourselves. And so we avoid the truth. I know I do this all the time. I do this all the time. I remember a few years ago, my, uh, I was having these certain conflicts with different people. And I wanted to uh, look at the particulars, as I always do, as every one of us do. We look at the details. Well, that person did this. That's the reason why I responded the way I did, and I'm justified for my response. What about that? Well, that person, they did something different, but that was because of this and that. And well, what about that story? Well, that was because I had a bad day. Well, what about this story? Well, that was because of this. Well, that, and I, there was always some kind of excuse for my behavior, and I felt justified by it. But if I were to look at the picture, not the details, what was the picture telling me? And when I did stand back and look at the picture, when I dared to, when I finally got the courage to walk into the light and not stay in the darkness, John chapter 3, then what I saw was that I was carrying a whole lot of resentment from past issues. And that resentment was bleeding its way out into other relationships. And when I finally took a look at the resentment, that was the big picture. Then I was able to finally repent. I was able to finally heal and change. And what a relief it was to finally come to grips with truth. Because truth is wonderfully freeing. At first, it is tremendously painful because we see the light, and the light shines on our darkness. But once it does, and we walk into the truth, then we can be free. Now, that doesn't mean that we all see the truth the same way. It doesn't mean that we all even agree at, the mo- at a moment, like, what do you do with that? That, uh, you know, what if someone sees, no, I really don't see what you're saying. I really don't understand this, right? What do we do then? Well, let's get to that under grace. But first, what I want to do is take a look at um, with you uh, at Luke 16. And I'm going to uh, share this with you guys. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot manage any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so I want you to remember that when, so he's assumed he's he's fired, he's done. So when he called in each one of his master's debtors, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil, he replied. The The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450, half, right? Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 
800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind. Listen to this. This is the point Jesus is driving at. They, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Many people have been confused by this passage. What, what is going on here, right? That the master would say, well done, you, you just, you, you didn't collect the full amount, you know, you, you, you actually showed mercy. But the point here that he's making, and Jesus is making, is this. The master recognizes that this guy knows he's going to get fired, and so he makes good and, like, treats everyone who owes the master really well, and he cuts quick deals so that when he gets fired, he has places to hang out. Presumably, he wouldn't have a, a place to hang out. He wouldn't have a place to live. And so these people would take care of him. And the master says, wink, wink, well done. You, you, you burned me, but you burned me in the right way because you saved your own skin. That's the idea of the shrewdness here, right? Uh, so he is commended. And Jesus actually says, see, even people in the world know what to do with their wealth, whereas people of the light, meaning he was speaking to, to the people, the Jewish people, you're not doing that. You're not actually taking care of the people who are without or the people who owe or the people who are suffering. You're not doing that, right? So that's why he gets to verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. All right, so, and then he says, no, no one can serve two masters, um, and that is referring to money, God and money. Now, jump to the next parable, because the next parable is comparing, it's, it's the same idea, it's a sort of parallelism. So it's, par it's, it's putting these two next to each other for the purpose of making the point even more firmly. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water to cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, there, between you and us, there's a chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you uh, cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let them warn them so that they will also not come to this place of torment. Now listen to this. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. All right, so what is he saying here? He's saying from the prophets. This has always been the consistent message, is that you who have are neglecting those who don't. 
Notice in this story, there is no oppression. There is no physical, there's no, I should say, there's no intentional oppression. There's nothing, you read the story, there's nothing about uh, the rich man beating or mistreating Lazarus. There's just simply neglect, right? Now compare that to the shrewd manager and you're getting the bigger picture. The bigger picture is this issue of, do you care? Do you see? And do you care? Which is why uh, there is this um, uh, teaching um, that Jesus makes about um, giving a cup of cold water to those who do not have, and then if you do so, it is as if you're giving me a cup of cold water. So this is the, uh, the, the, the very powerful and poignant passage here is pointing to the larger picture, which has to do with do we care and do we, do we respond to the cry of those who are suffering and those who are oppressed. And, um, and so um, that is the, uh, that's the Luke 16 passage. Let me... Um, bounce to Romans 14. So this is what we wanted to look at as well today from Romans 14. And we'll look at verse 13 all the way to the end of 21. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. The context of what was happening was this had to do with eating and drinking. These were ceremonial laws and there was a division within the church around the Greeks, so the non-Jews, the Gentiles, who were coming to faith, and they were eating meat. And there were many Jews who were following Jesus, who had converted to following Jesus, who were not eating meat because their law did not allow them to. And they were the Christians of our day. They were the evangelicals of our day. And they're saying, what is happening here that... These people are coming in and they're not eating, they're you know, eating meat. And so there was this back and forth tension that was going to cause the church to divide. And so he says this, instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Okay. But even though Paul has this conviction, what Paul is saying is, Overall, this isn't a direct parallel to racism, by the way. We're not, I'm not making that parallel. What I'm saying is look at the spirit of the text. Look at the heart. Look at the compassion, the empathy that is coming from Paul's heart. Therefore, let us, not, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And then in verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Um, this is, uh, yeah, and it's better for me, and then at verse 21, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So, Again, this is not a parallel. This is a this is the point of this is to look at the the sort of the heart, the spirit that Paul has when he says there, there is a self-limitation that we can take on. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine. There is a limitation that we can take on ourselves. 
if it means it will help others. If it means that it is that critical, that important, in what way can I do this to serve the others? So I'm going to stop sharing here for a moment and get back to, um, and then address this issue of grace. So Luke 16, so where are we right now? We're in the area of still truth. We're dealing with truth, speaking the truth, understanding how truth is first something that I see a part of, but then we see better as a whole, as a collective, we see even more. And then in throughout history, we're going to see even more. And so we understand that. Um, we also need to look at the big picture rather than sometimes focusing on the details. And that's something I can't give you. I can't tell you what the big picture is. What I can tell you is that if you're having if you're having this sort of um, awareness or this sort of frustration uh, in this this discomfort, this angst, that those are good indications sometimes that we might be resisting something. But there's something internally that we're saying, I don't want to see this. And what I would say about that is that um, there are some that are that are blind, as Jesus said. Some of us just don't see, and Jesus comes to open the eyes of those who don't see. And then there are some who do see, but want to remain blind. And so there's a peeking at the light, but that that light makes us uncomfortable. And so we prefer to go back to what's familiar and comfortable to us. And that's something I can't tell you what that is. Only you can do the work of internally becoming aware of that and then opening yourself up to more of the light of Jesus and asking yourself, is there truth here that I'm avoiding? Is there greater truth? Am I not paying attention? Am I not listening? You know, and when we're in the place of really wanting to know the truth, what happens is there's a sort of settling and a surrender. We just seem to surrender and say, I don't care what the truth is. Just, just show it to me, Jesus. I just want the truth. Because the truth is so wonderfully freeing. And it is so filled with grace. It's always both and grace and truth. But Luke 16 points out something that says, that's to, that helps us in terms of this issue of, of racism. We can say, well, you know, there are some people that are saying there's no racism, people of color, black people are saying there's no racism, right? And so we hang on those few, right? But let me just present this to you. And I do this with love and I do this with humility, but I speak, but I believe I'm speaking the truth. If the vast majority, overwhelming majority of African-Americans are saying that they have experienced racism. If the vast majority, overwhelming number of them have shared their stories with people like me and you. And if you have had the, uh, the privilege, the gift of actually sitting with many black people and asking them their stories and they tell you, then you're gifted if that's the case, that's a blessing. But if that's the truth, then what we have to do is to say, is there a parallel in scripture that shows us where the majority of a group that claims to be oppressed, that God hears them? And the answer is emphatically 100% yes. Exodus 22, as we read last week. If the orphan and the widow cry out to me, I will hear them. These are categories of people, of groups of people. And so to stay in, in, in step with the spirit of Jesus Christ, we have to say to ourselves, if the majority are saying the same thing or similar things, 
And remarkably, here's the here's a here's an interesting thing. According to a poll done a few years ago, the split between conservative and liberal black people is pretty much even in terms of their 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 values. But when they come to voting, they vote anywhere from a high of or a low, excuse me, of the 80s, 80 percentage to a high of 93 percent. And they vote consistently for that way for Democrats. And the majority of them, the reason why they do so is simply because of the civil rights issue. Because it has to do with survival. And they have told me personally, friends of mine, many of them have told me, I don't have the luxury, Joel, of avoiding politics. This is a matter of life and death for me. It's a matter of survival for me. And so while I lean more conservative, I have to do this. And so at some point we have to say, okay, do we hear their voice and do we care? Do we care and do we love? Do we weep with those who weep? Do we mourn with those who mourn? Are we going to continue to be those who say, well, you know, I'm not rich. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a poor white person too. Uh, and, or are we going to say, hey, look, there's something here. And I, and, and in this parable of, of, a class of people, because you, you, you imagine this, Jesus is saying this about the rich man and Lazarus, who a Jew would have said, oh yeah, I'm the rich man right here. <laughs> None of them would have, they would have all said, what are you talking about? We're the oppressed people. You know, we're the ones who are oppressed under Rome, right? So all of us would, would laugh at that and say, yeah, I, I'm one of them too. I'm not a millionaire. I'm kind of in that, I'm, I'm struggling too. What he's pointing out is that there's always somebody with less than you. There's always somebody who struggles more than you do. And are you moved by that? Or are you so focused on your own life and your own self in a, in concern that you don't see and you don't hear, right? This is really calling us to, to, to like greater love. How's your heart? You know, even now, as you think about this, I know this is so uncomfortable. I know, and I feel, some, <laughs> I feel your discomfort. I feel mine, right? But how is your heart? Can you feel your heart in this moment? And can you tune into that and ask yourself, do I have the heart of Christ? That even in my own suffering, can I notice the suffering of another person and actually care and be moved by that? And if we can, then we're starting to move towards more truth and more grace. And finally, let me say this, in terms of what we've been doing and what I've been guilty of, and, I'll, and I'm, I'll confess before all of you, it's always good for me to confess, I have used shame way too many times. I've shamed some of you, I've shamed my own family at times, I've shamed other people I've been in conversations with because of my own shame that I feel for my own inactivity towards things, I have oftentimes shamed others. For the shame that I have felt around not doing enough for the community of black people, for uh, others who are suffering, then that shame that I feel in me, then I cast on other people. And today we're in a very shame-based culture and I'm so struggling with that right now because I see it and I see it in me too. You know, there's a whole lot of shaming that we're doing. And we're shaming people into silence. We're shaming each other into silence. 
then we are we are we're we have another option here we really do we have the option of exiting that shame uh culture and living in a culture of grace and truth and that's the wonderful invitation we have from jesus is we can leave that and ascend to a place where we can speak the truth this is the truth my brothers and sisters but there is no shame i'm going to put onto you now if you feel shame because the truth has exposed something to you, that's not a terrible thing. But if you feel shame because I'm shaming you because I'm not dealing with my own shame and therefore putting it onto you, that's, that's, that's detrimental. And I think that's the sickness of what's happening now is that a lot of us aren't dealing with our own issues, our own shame. And so then we just kind of spew it out there. But once you've walked into the grace of Jesus Christ, what you find out is when you confess the truth, yeah, God, I really haven't, don't really care about other people as much as I need to. Oh, I hate that about me, but I confess the truth and I admit that. That then what we're met by Jesus is nothing but grace. It's nothing but grace. It's freedom. And then it's an invitation to join him in beginning to do something wonderful and freeing of, and, and giving and serving other people, right? And it's from that spirit that then we stop casting shame on other people. As long as we live in the law, Moses, the law came through Moses. As long as we live in the law, which is the way we use the law, it's like, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And you're grace and truth, brothers and sisters, grace and truth is that we acknowledge first our ick, our ick that we feel in here. And we acknowledge that. And we come into the light and we're met with the wonderful love and grace of Jesus Christ. And then we convey that grace to other people with truth. And sometimes when we communicate the truth, it feels uncomfortable, but let it not be from a place of shame. And I'll be the first to, to, to confess right now in this moment before all of you that I have carried a lot of that. Like I've, I've put shame out there. And I see it. I've seen it and I see it. And even this morning, starting out the sermon, I could feel that kind of rising within me. And so I'm aware and I'm confessing that. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have done that because that is not what grace looks like. But it is a tough battle, isn't it? Because we're confronted with our own ickness and then we got other people putting their shame on us and so suddenly we're carrying that shame on top of our shame and then we go out and put that shame out into the world and now there's this is like this shame spiral and it is this cyclone of shame that is just spinning all over the place and so you know what we don't have to do this anymore that's the good news we can leave that if we want to it's going to be uh, a little bit of effort, sure, but we can leave that 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 cycle. We can leave that uh, ick of shame, and we can also walk in the light of truth. What is the truth, Jesus? Show me the truth that I may walk into it. Show me the light that I may walk into it. Let me just say a couple things by way of suggestions. One is. Um, I, I, I've noticed that oftentimes, including on my posts, that when I post on anything related to race, that it is most often, almost exclusively white people that are going back and forth on those posts. 
And it occurred to me, it isn't it interesting that, the, that our, my, my close friends who are non-white are not involved in those back and forths. I wonder what I make of that. And maybe I should sit with that and think about that for a moment. The other question I would ask us is, is there something that we could say, I want to do this as a way to keep my brothers and sisters of color from stumbling anymore? I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to make it hard for them. I've had them personally tell me, Joel, I would love to go to church, but I can't. The pain is just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I can't do it. And this is done with tears. This is done with broken hearts. So I, I say to all of us, let's move towards healing. Let's move towards healing. Let's walk into love. It's open. The door is open to all of us. Let's walk into love. Ah. Just take a moment now. And would you put your hands over your heart and maybe close your eyes? And even if you're struggling with what was shared this morning, would you try it anyways and see what might happen? And as you put your hands over your heart, do you ask the Holy Spirit, the one who's the revealer of all truth, as John said, the Spirit would do? We just say, Spirit, open my eyes, open my heart. Open my eyes, open my heart. And see if the Spirit will say anything to you in this moment. If you feel shame in this moment, just could you smile around the shame? Don't chase it away, but just smile. Just okay. I see you, I feel you, but, but I won't serve the shame and I won't let it run my life. I receive your grace. Jesus, I receive your grace. I receive your undying, never-ending, faithful love for me. I surrender. I've been trying to make sense of all of these things. There's a fight in me that I know and I feel and I see. But in this moment, I surrender 
my life, my heart, my mind, and my body to you. And I recommit my life to following you, Jesus. The path is narrow. It is difficult, but I choose to follow you. Because that path is life. So I give my life to you. In the name of the Father. And of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit. Amen.